0: But we have a we have a cracker of a show teed up. That's for sure. Everybody's going to love it, except for Joel. What's that? That's... You're
1: breaking up? I don't know. My internet <laughs> connection's failing. I think.
0: Shut up, Joel. Welcome to Practical, Practical Shooting After Dark. My name's Ben. We're here to talk about shooting on deck tonight. We have Mister GMJP, everyone's favorite. Hello. He's our tantric sex master, <laughs> Mister Juanza Kim hello and mr andreas yankopoulos hello hello
1: we call him the doctor
0: we do we call him the doctor of disrespect no we don't know but that would be pretty cool all right uh guys we're gonna open the show tonight i got a really fun note from a friend of mine as you know i've spent the last maybe 10 years traveling around collecting friends some of them are interesting So uh, this is from an R.D. in another country, of course, that R.D. being the same thing as like USPSA president, but just in a different country. Says, by the way, fun fact from my front, you probably probably remember that I was elected as an R.D. not not a long time ago. Seventy percent of my region's members voted for me. But let's say I was not liked by the old guard in our shooting sport federation, which is the governing body of IPSC uh, in my in my region now. The Federation Board will vote on a proposal to establish a three-person committee made up of unelected officials, which will supervise me and our NROI. What is funny and tragic about it, they have proposed that the guy who lost an election and his henchmen will be in this new committee, and the third dude is just to pretend the committee's diverse. Yes. Well, a fantastic message. Uh, What we're witnessing is a behavior pattern, not so much uh, anything that's unique. So, as it pertains to USPSA, yeah, it's a behavior pattern. Like, we see it everywhere.
2: The boomers, just can't, let go. The boomers just can't let go, man. The boomers cannot let go. And they I actually
1: had a BOC committee meeting tonight for my gun club. It was fantastic.
2: Was it, Joel?
0: Did you guys uh, lay down the law?
1: No, it was terrible.
0: Okay. <laughs> Talking about dumb shit, I'm guessing. Going nowhere fast. All right. Well, gentlemen... Let's kick off the show. Uh, who has a productive shooting topic? Like something, no drama, no nonsense, just shooting? I have one. All right, fuck that. Uh, who else?
1: <laughs> I want to hear what Professor has to say.
2: Andreas, <laughs> fired up. <laughs> so I, I sort of have an anti-shooting topic that uh, yeah. this year I was oh, doing no. a lot more dry fire and live fire and shooting than usual. And I noticed... Kind of like my, my physical conditioning is not where I want it to be. So what, what I'm doing. I'm
0: seeing the videos ne- with the kettlebells all the time, man.
2: Yeah. Like that's that's me like, the- just watching the video. I barely make it through the
1: whole video without getting tired.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I've kind of just been doing like the physical training down at a maintenance level. And uh, so idea the next uh, maybe through January is lay off a dry fire some. And the live fire some and just really try to pick up physical conditioning. And I figure I've never really taken an off season because like here in Georgia, you can pretty much shoot year round. So, yeah, just take uh, two or three months, focus on getting a lot more solid weight workouts in and um, kind of plotting out what I'm going to do there in terms of exercises. And, yeah, just see where that gets me when I ramp up shooting kind of preseason, like February-ish or so here.
0: Well, can I so, just say, I think what you're doing is very smart, sir.
2: Yeah, I don't think – I mean, I've had, like, going on vacation at, at times for two weeks or so. I've been surprised how quickly shootings come back, or in some cases, like, it's like I never put the gun down at all. So. Getting some, uh, getting some rest in that regard and you know, just trimming off a couple pounds and getting my flexibility and mobility back up. I can see that only uh, only doing some good things for my shooting. Yeah, and I figure if professional athletes do it, well, like amateurs should benefit from it as well.
0: I don't think you're wrong. No, I subscribe no, an to the same thing. Off-season
1: is a good time. Uh, I suspect there will be a training group live podcast coming out uh soon talking about that and about assessing your goals and stuff like that that people could look forward to in the near future yes uh-huh. maybe maybe even featuring two people that are on this podcast the two with uh, <laughs> could happen. the better haircuts
2: it could happen oh
1: shit keep it anonymous
0: <laughs> i was th- how did i forget doing a, a podcast with you because <laughs> my hair is clearly the best on this show <laughs> Yes. Or it's not even close. I don't think. No. All right. I'd like to jump into my topic, guys. Yeah. So a fun thing from the meeting minutes, um, which uh, November 8th minutes. Um, this is going to be a weird thing to talk about, but item four, section D they had discussion of inclusion of a minimum RO certification requirement for elected positions. So I'd like to talk about this, guys. Minimum RO Mm -hmm. certification on the face of it sounds pretty reasonable, right? I don't think it's like, yeah, you should have to be an RO. Um, But if you look at the context for where they're talking about this, there's one guy on the board who's not an RO, and his name is Matt Hopkins. (laughs) Uh, It says Matt let his RO certification lapse, and it looks like the board not too happy with it. Uh, So... They're great. they they reached consensus, of course, to uh, include that as a requirement for all elected offices. What I think is kind of funny about this, and I'll use uh, I'll use myself as as an example. Like I don't think the RO certification really means that much. It doesn't mean nothing. It means you took a two day class, and you could kind of pay attention and you could pass the test at the end, which is an open book test. That's what it means. Um, which is not nothing, but it's not really all that much. Uh, As an example, me, I let my RO certification lapse because there's really no incentive to keep it. If I'm at a club match and we need somebody on the timer, nobody gives a fuck that I'm not a certified RO. Believe me, they don't care. Like, yeah, take the timer, like do the thing. When we needed a match director for the state session match, (laughs) nobody gave a fuck that I wasn't an RO. (laughs) Because we needed a match director. And they're like, yeah, you pretty much know the rules, so go do the thing. Uh, so I guess my message to the uh, the establishment people, the board people, is if you want your stupid little RO certification to mean something, make it mean something. You know, punt the shitty ROs, like make it harder to maintain RO status, or make, make it mean something um, rather than this uh, petty uh, bullshit. Okay, that's my rant. Any uh, commentary on that, guys? No. Joel, so you're I'm not sure a, you a uh,
2: you're to not you're not a fan of uh, just occupational licensing in general to uh, keep people in their place.
0: Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm not a fan It's kind of like it's horseshit. And I like you kind of like, yeah, it's a, it's there for a reason. And everybody understands the reason. But you know what I mean? Just that you can mm-hmm. maintain a license like that doesn't really mean much to me. No, not really. You know, like, it's what's the old joke? Uh, What do you call the guy who who, uh, graduates the bottom of his class in law school?
2: Lawyer or judge? You
0: call him a a judge, I think. Yeah, judge, yeah. (laughs) Come on, Joel, I'm sure you've got commentary on that.
1: Uh, The only thing I'll even say is I do wish the questions for the test uh, were structured in a way that actually made sense. Like one of the questions on the test I had was like, if you're shooting a target and a bullet gets stuck in the cardboard and doesn't make it through, like through the cardboard, These are relevant
0: questions to you. No, no, really. that was, and
1: I had to find the rule and the, and the scoring. If someone shoots a bullet at <laughs> yes, the cardboard target. It's really important that
0: you understand contacts, what to do. But it contacted. the bullet gets stuck in the cardboard. Yeah, but it does go all the way through. Is this that's
1: before,
2: why it's such is, an important this bef- is this before, is this before or after it fails to knock down the popper?
1: Jesus Christ! Oh, that's all I have to say. I wish the I wish the set, the questions made a bit more sense and were applicable to uh, you know like officiating that we see at matches.
0: All right, let's Mr. move on, Mister. Mr. Mr. I Kim, think you have you a topic. Have a, yeah, you have a shooting <laughs> topic. Let's hear it. Enough of me ranting about dumb <laughs> shit. Yeah, I
3: I have kind of shooting topic, but mostly show and tell so in the winter time something i do in my practice is uh basically trying to make the practice as efficient as possible so i'm not you know freezing in the cold for two hours maybe try to make it more uh one hour session but make it as efficient as possible so like there's a couple things i do um a lot of people actually what they do is yeah they uh, leave the a zone and then paste outside. That's definitely one good efficient way to uh, not spend time tape not shooting. And another thing is I try to uh, use maximum of three to four targets, perhaps nothing too far. So I don't have to like walk forward and you know see where the bullet hole is or try to paste. So I try to make the target more difficult. So I I have a target right here that I want to show that I use a lot in the winter time. So audio listeners may not see what it is, but this is a, basically a target that A-Zone cut out. That looks familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the backside is automatically white, so I can make it a white partial, no-shoe partial or hardcover partial like that. So basically, I have a lot of boxes around me. Whenever I order from you know Steger Pro Shop, I have brown boxes. So I just cut one side of the, the, the wing and then it just fits really nicely on one side. So you just like tape, tape it on the back or staple it on the back. So now you have a partial target that you can kind of replace the brown part. Uh, this, of course, uh, Ben's practical accuracy drill. That's one thing I do a lot of in this target. Uh, that drill is definitely one good drill, but I also use it like a partial target so that it it's actually a tough target, especially when you are shooting no shoot all covered except A zone, right? So in this kind of case, I'm making the difficulty and risk high. So then I'm not, I'm not shooting for sure. I'm not shooting this like really far either, but by placing at 15 yards, I I see a very, very difficult shot there now, because first you don't want to shoot the no shoot even in practice. So by kind of raise, rising up, raising up the difficulty of when, or the risk of the shot, I don't necessarily have to set it at 25 yards. So That's one thing. And of course, this fits in your car, so like you don't have to use two targets, create a partial. And another partial I sometimes use, uh, this idea was actually from uh, Mason. So he basically folds IPSC target in a half. Or it could be a USPSA yeah. target, right? So you're, you're folding the target in a half, so the no-shoot part is like half of the A zone. So you can just use one target to create a no-shoot target. So just think about it. If in the winter time, if you really focus on something that's higher round count and maybe session is half than usual summer session, but similar round count, uh, you can just go home and do dry fire more in a way and you can (laughs) save yourself from suffering a lot too. Uh, So definitely uh, setting up targets really good and I do more dry fire in the winter, of course. So like how I set up my dry fire target is I just get a one target stick. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and staple. So a lot of people use like a tape on on the wall so it can fall or you can like take the paint off of the wall too. So simply I go to Home Depot, get like a regular target stick, and then I staple on it. But if you flip the other side, there's another target waiting for you. So you can use both sides use one open target or partial target behind it you can even like staple popper on it and easily move it around another thing is uh as i'm reviewing a lot of dry fire training from training group a lot of people have a set dry fire um one whole year they would just paste it on the wall and never really change anything and they have like 30 targets on a single wall and they kind of pick different targets which can be very
0: disturbing. And at times you may lose the sequence. Mr. Kim, can I give yes. you some counterpoint to that? Exactly, yes. Okay. All okay. right, I wanna give, like what you're saying, it's accurate, but mm-hmm. also I wanna give just the balanced view also. A lot of guys, it, so the way we divided up at practical shooting training, level one, two, three, four. There's a lot of guys that are level one, that we're talking about guys who need to be able to get through the match, like remember your stage plan, don't shoot penalties. Don't do dumb shit like that type of dude. Right. That's what they need to get the level they're trying to get to. I Mm -hmm. oftentimes give them the advice to put 30 targets up on the wall Mm -hmm. and set up a few different shooting positions and learn to memorize a sequence and kind of like run through a complex sequence so that that they're not getting confused when they go to a match like they've they kind of work that bullshit out uh, in, in their home practice.
3: Mm-hmm. that's actually a pretty good idea
0: yeah yeah right so i just wanted to make that point like so level one that makes a lot of sense if you're a level four guy you don't need four thousand targets on the wall mm-hmm. yes right so okay. the
3: point of wood stick target stick is that you're able to move it around and make shorting more randomized in like de- depends on the movement too like if you're moving three steps uh you may be actually like already end of the wall but if you pull, uh, if you put one target stick in the bathroom, now you can shoot through the living room door and then go to the bathroom door, things like that. A lot easier to set a new thing. So this is really all saving time and make your training uh, as as minimal because a lot of people have what fifty minutes of high focus duration, and that's why college classes are tend to be fifty. Sorry, did you
0: say fifty or fifteen? Fifty. Jesus. Depends on the
1: length of their hair. I
0: am substantially <laughs> below average, sir. We already know, Ben. God
1: we damn. Anyway. 50 uh, minutes? Professor, also, yes. while you're saying really smart things, talk about the depth and the focal change, if you would, because I think that's worth talking about. Oh, yes.
3: A lot of times in dry fire, I used to be one of those people where I would use small target as much as possible. And let's say my room is maybe uh, wall-to-wall, probably four yards And I was shooting one six scale target at four yards distance. Like if it's a five yard target or four yard target, full full size target. So a lot of people actually don't think about the simulated distance. That's one thing. And also, uh, if you are using one single wall and all the all the target is on a one single wall, there's actually there may be size target size change, but there's no focal depth change. So what I typically like to do. One benefit of using the stick is you can use wall or you can lean it against a chair so you can actually make just like an accelerator drill in my kitchen. So one target is actually five yards distance and one target maybe three and one target at seven. So actual target that difference makes your focal depth work differently Uh, than using one dimensional wall. There's size change of the target but no distance change, you're not actually working on that focal depth change too. Yes. Love it. Very important things.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I got.
0: Yeah, uh, the uh, that's an excellent argument, the focal depth change for having targets uh, in depth for dry fire which is hard to do. Like you guys have seen my dry fire space. I have like a front wall and a back wall. So mm-hmm. I get that focal depth change when I need yes. it. Uh, but if you don't have something like that, then uh, yeah, you've got to be able to space the targets out because the focal depth change thing is real. Uh, it's a big thing in classes. I see a lot. You'll see like 10-yard target, 10-yard target, 20-yard target, 10-yard target, like that. And mm-hmm. the guy just can't get his eye lasered out to a spot on that 20-yard target when he zips out to it. You know he just kind of looks at brown and shoots at brown rather than lasering in on that spot and you can see the difference in the points especially over a lot of uh, repetition you know yep. you see the pattern yep. emerge
3: mm-hmm. yeah so two important key for me in dry fire that i changed that helped me a lot was shooting with a simulated distance with a proper confirmation so like if i'm shooting third scale at five yards that's 15 yard target and I am I didn't shoot, like, a 15-yard target, so I had to change. Oh, hey, this, I had to confirm more. I can't just shoot, like, a 5-yard target because it's 5 yards. That was one thing. And then yeah. the actual focal depth change, yeah.
0: All right. Well, good topic. Let's move on to another topic. All right. There's only one man standing.
1: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Joel, uh, want- what are you talking about? The tantric talk- sex god shit or, like, shooting stuff?
1: Let's talk about carbine training instead. Why not ben. both?
0: <laughs> I like where Andreas said at.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, so I've been, I've been training with the carbine pretty much daily the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I've fielded a lot of questions, of course, about it because, you know, something different. Uh, what drills I've been doing are basically drills that we do with handguns.
0: We talked about it's... this, Joel. Could we think of a drill that you do with one and not the other?
1: we were actually talking about this what last night?
0: Two yeah, ago. did could we think of a drill?
1: Not really. Uh, all I've done is scale like up. One the, handed the, the stuff the
0: doesn't really apply to carbine, I guess. But like, right. The other stuff is like kind of.
2: I guess well, you do about, more. How about when you stuff? do your uh, Rhodesian wall with uh, the carbine? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I mean. That's, that's a little tough.
1: Well, to kind of further what you're saying, so uh, I did accelerator quite a bit where I was. You know, dry training, like the, the draw, so to speak, low ready, the reload, the gun manipulation, you know, close, medium, far target, whatever. And it's basically, no shocker to any of you guys, it's the same issues that could happen with a pistol. So, uh, under aiming, you know, over aiming, dragging through on the middle target, um, not stop, not picking like a precise spot on the far target. Uh, you know, those are kind of things that all, all can happen. I thought it was kind of interesting. I uh, defaulted back to my turtle days. The first, first, especially probably the first half of the range session before I kind of forced myself to send it a little bit. Very tidy shooting. Uh, maybe out of four or six runs, I have a couple Cs is it, especially on the back target too. And like, it's all A's. On the close target, it's like a fist-sized group. Like, okay, we got we to start picking this up. Got to start sending it a bit. Um, and there's just like the same stuff. I know it's like, oh, I'm a little bit delayed hitting my mag release after I fire the last shot. So it's, again, just kind of the small stuff that you would pick up you know when you're when you're shooting with a handgun, basically the same thing with a rifle. So, uh, I think it was it's really fun. I've had a good time then practicing or working with a, a red dot as well as an LPVO just to kind of learn the differences where and where. What have excels. you been
0: seeing there? Being straight,
1: with, being straight with you, anything fifty yards or less, irrespective of target difficulty, I strongly prefer the red dot.
0: If it's, it's way better up close, isn't it?
1: It is so good, especially Accelerator. Even Accelerator, it was a total pain so with you, that. Are LCBO. you
0: running, like, we've talked about rifle distances. I kind of like 10, 25, 50 for rifle Accelerator. What do you like?
1: That makes sense. I did the 7, 15, and 25 for a bit just because I really wanted to, like, compare. Uh, but, yes, then I started stretching it back. I started doing doubles.
0: But I feel like the distances are very similar. So, at 10, it's, like, red flash shoot. Uh-huh. At 25, it's like uh, it's the same as like 15 yards with a with a handgun, where it's you're in that zone where you can do predictive shooting if you're really dialed in on that gun. You can do predictive shooting, just the flash of red with a red dot, or just like the flat that flash sight picture with irons. Uh-huh. At 25, it's like sight press, sight press, and then with a rifle, it's like hey, 25 yards is the predictive shooting zone. Like that's the kind of. Around the edge, depending on the muzzle device and the rifle and all that shit. Um, Maybe you could stretch it to 30 or a little longer. And then 50 yards is the dot press, dot press.
1: Yes. What do you say? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Doing doubles was also very interesting, doing that with the rifle. Uh, I'm sure you guys would be all super shocked. Holding the rifle hard at your shoulder with your support hand is really important. Like, unlike handgun shooting, right? You I was like, oh, I'll just grip the gun really hard with my with my support hand and then just relax my firing hand and press the trigger straight back without pushing into the whole rifle. So the amount of carryover has been really crazy and it's, it's been fun just learning something new. Yes. Uh, bar hop is also super, super interesting with a rifle. I like doing that one quite Uh, a
0: bit. There's there's a lot more noise. shooting on the move. Shit's way
1: harder. (laughs) Yes, there is more noise for sure. Uh, I just have, uh, these, uh, A2 flash hiders on my gun. So they're, uh, they're not they're not noisy.
2: So what do you find with uh easy and hard exits and how that translates over to a, a rifle?
1: I definitely need to do more mounted unmounted guys, for,
2: Yeah. Guys, I'm sorry to interrupt this, but I
0: have a question here that is perfecto this Okay. Is like segue in right now. Like we planned it, only yep. we didn't. Almost. Ben, since you and your band of merry men seem to be becoming proficient at shooting target folks with iron sights, and after shooting irons in this fashion for some time now, do you feel the reason using dots is faster is primarily because the shooter is typically shooting target focused and not so much aiming device being used? Meaning, is the approach to aiming at the target is what is saving the time versus the type of aiming device being used? Maybe it's a little of both the device and shooting target focused. I'll, I'll just take the answer from the top. For me, what I find is, uh, yep, no focal depth changes definitely speeds things up. That's what makes the dots so much faster. In, in many respects, never, you're never you never changing focal depth. Um, there's a zone. Uh, I, for me, it's about a mini popper at 15 yards. That's about where the edge of, if I'm shooting iron sights, I need to start checking the alignment of front and rear sight, meaning yeah. Yeah, like I have to start doing that work. Okay, that doesn't exist with the dot. It's just, is the dot in the center of the target or not? Or is the dot on the target or not? But with iron sights, there becomes a point where you need to start paying attention to alignment. And that additional element slows things down. Um, and that would be irrespective of focal depth change, yes or no. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Okay, That's where
2: I noticed it is like. You have certain distances where the, the front sight returns, but then you need to do a little bit of micro-steering of the gun to get the rear sight lined up. Do you use micro-steering? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to use it's, that it's, a, it's just a terminology terminology little like
0: for, like, sex stuff. I don't know. It's,
2: it's <laughs> yeah, just like, like where, the, where the front sight is, it's in the rear notch, but it's not centered up, and it's the kind of shot where it needs to be centered up. No, I get it. I mean, it made sense immediately.
0: It's a great term. Did you invent that, Andreas? Because I really like that. I'm not sure where I
2: got that from. I'd like for you to take credit for
0: that immediately. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll get Tim to pro shop. Tim, we'll get some shirts going on. Okay.
2: And micro Micro steering
0: with uh, Andreas. Like, uh, I don't know. We need to be my next next class. Yeah.
3: One thing that was
0: very interesting to me.
3: So uh, I've been shooting irons and red dot for a while, like 2017 through 19. But 2020, last year, I, I didn't shoot irons at all, almost. I mean, some practice, yes, but never shot a match. No, uh, I saw you shoot limited match with me, didn't you? That was this year, 2021. Oh, shit, it was. Yes. So 2021, I, I ran out of 9 mil, and I had a lot of 40, <laughs> so I shot limited for a while. And as I was going back and forth again, uh definitely shooting the dot, uh, like Ben was saying, whenever there's, like, alignment component, uh irons kind of get... Uh, slow down a little bit. So one thing I did to help my predictive shooting better with the irons was actually increase the fiber size. Before, I was having really, really dim fiber. So I was even like sharpening on top so that it's even dimmer. The size of the fiber, I was burning it really, really tiny. So like when I'm shooting uh, irons, it feels like the dot or the fiber is almost like one MOA size. But I've been shooting 2.5 last year, so I was like maybe I, I'll just burn the fiber bigger so it looks like a 2.5 MOA, and then shoot that just exactly like a red dot in a relatively closer distance. So that really helped me to actually shoot really like a red dot with the green fiber, with the uh, the sight gun. And that really helped me to increase the predictable, predictable, predictive shooting further distances too. And another thing I noticed is like, when I look at the target and the irons come in, in my peripheral vision, before I had no idea where the fiber is because the fiber was so dim and small. But since I burnt it a little bit bigger, I can see the color of the fiber coming in my peripheral vision a lot clearer. So I can almost time the shot on a closer target a lot better with better So that's accurate.
0: the predictive shooting target transition. Yes. Which is a thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. But one, one thing is, I made
3: sure I can still see the top notch. I'm, I'm not burning it too big. I was just burning it to the point where the fiber is right underneath the top of the uh, front sight. So when I actually try to shoot front sight focus, let's say if I have to, then I can see the triangles on the corner of the front side and slight top black uh, top, but there is no like black gap between the fiber, if that makes sense. Fiber right. is covering almost the entire front side, except the top notch. That helped me all right all right oh by the way i'm shooting in washington so i can't say if you're living in florida with the sun uh you might need to burn a little less to see the front side top notch
1: yeah it's worth mentioning the lighting that you use uh your you know your prescription yes. all that kind of stuff cloudy
0: damn you joel and your kim register. has
1: Kim has a self-control to use the rear sight when he gets out at, like, reactive shooting range or be shooting at I have the self-control
0: yards. to pull the trigger more.
1: You have a very solid index.
0: <laughs> yep. I do have that,
1: That's, yeah. That, that enables you to do that. All,
0: All right. right, guys. I think this is a real cracker of a show, especially the parts where I talk crazy and you guys sat there uncomfortably. That's my favorite part of the show.
1: It's a highlight, yes. <laughs>
0: it's a highlight for the listeners. They love it. They're like, uh-huh. is Joel going Give to me more? Games? Give me more of that.
1: Uh-huh. Spoiler
0: alert, yes, every time he does.
1: On that note, <laughs> listeners, if you have a question you want the answer to, go to my website. It's com. Send me your question. We'd love to hear from you.